Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes, we do. This week, The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Ghost sounds. Published in 2008 and the winner of a noob. It has a Newberry medal. Look at that giant medal on there. It is extremely exciting. Another reason this episode is extremely exciting is that we have a special guest. Yeah. Our dear, dear friend, Justice. And I'd love, Justice, if you'd like to give you a little introduction, let the folks know why you are interested in this book and why you wanted to join the discussion. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with y'all. Um, so I am Justice. I am a friend of the pod, even though you've never met me before. Um, I consider myself to be a life cycle doula, and so I support people um, when they're giving birth or even at the end of their life. And so I'm all about um, end of life practices, death practices and the like. And so I'm really happy that y'all chose this book for me to be on here. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, Cause I think this is a really great gateway for children to like start learning about mortality. Yeah. <laughs> 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. In an impressively accessible way. It's extremely comforting in the way that it talks about death, um, which is so rare, and I'm very drawn to it for that reason, among others, which we'll get into. Um, So we'll start by breaking down the way the publisher chose to package and promote this book. This is an impressively visual book. Mm -hmm. It has incredible illustrations by Dave McKean, who also illustrated Coraline and does these really evocative, passionate ink, pen, brush stroke drawings. Um, I've always really loved his work, and it's extremely well suited to the gothic tone of this book um the cover is a it's embossed it's it's a relief of a gravestone i think it's the ghoul gate um Mm. it looks like it and then we have the giant newberry metal just (laughs) blowing everything i know it's huge it's about the size of the ghoul gate itself (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is um and interestingly this copy of the book um which i i got when it came out so it was one of the earlier editions it has additional art at the back which was an alternative cover for the book um which is bod as a child it's confusing because it's bod when he's older so he's already been growing up with the ghosts and spirits in the graveyard but he's looking kind of surprised by them okay and there's a collection of different figures and characters from the book kind of eerily posed around him okay um and theatrical not not a scene from the book no no and the caption says that neither neil nor dave thought that it really properly represented the book i like how they still put it in the back (laughs) of the book this is bad and we hate it (laughs) it's not bad but no i do appreciate the fact that it's like bod out of his like sheet years you know he's like Mm -hmm. wearing like real jeans (laughs) yeah real shirt not his toga years yeah he's uh, he's moved on from his gray sheet which i love that he just wears his entire childhood and no shoes it's not a heavily used graveyard so i assume there's not like broken glass and stuff like that no but it's like in the uk right so i would think that it would be like 
muddy all the time and cold. Very cold. There's only one description of Bod being cold during the book, which I would think would be like a pretty persistent feeling (laughs) throughout his childhood. But he says that it's because he's one with the graveyard, so he doesn't feel the damp and the cold. I also believe that it your tolerance for cold can be vastly different based on the climate where you grow up and your exposure mm-hmm. to cold, mm-hmm. right? So maybe since he's always lived in the graveyard, he's just like, yeah, this is his life. Maybe. I mean, we grew up in the Midwest, but 10 years in Seattle and I'm ruined now yeah. and cannot handle a temperature below 40 degrees. Yeah. So. When, when I'm in Chicago and I go outside in the winter, I become like angry. Okay, so we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before, run along, scamper along, check it out. I highly recommend the physical edition so that you can see the wonderful illustrations. But there are also a few different audiobooks, including one narrated by Neil Gaiman that is also award-winning, I saw. so He, he also, this is not illegal, he puts... <laughs> YouTube. I'm just gonna preface this with I'm not <laughs> engaging in illegal acts <laughs> because it's it's not a bootleg. He records in front mm-hmm. of a camera himself um, reading a lot of his books, and then he just posts it on YouTube. And he it's bootlegs free. himself. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. He's putting it yeah. out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I feel comfortable recommending it because nice. clearly the author himself is mm-hmm. like wants that to be the mm-hmm. case. So Madeline is going to give us a plot summary of the book for those who are not familiar or maybe haven't visited it in a while. It is about nobody, Owens, who goes by Bod. Um, And uh, this book is kind of episodic, so I'm going to talk about it in a bit of broad strokes and try to just touch on everything. Um, So Bod, the reason that he ended up in the graveyard is the book opens with a man, Jack, with a dagger um, in a house at night, murdering three members of a family, um, a mom, a dad, and a little girl. Uh, And he also wants to murder the youngest child, who's a baby. He's a year and a half old. and uh, Naturally. Naturally wants to kill that baby. Yeah, and it turns out the baby like is the Baby's important the, point. the important person for him to be killing because it involves a prophecy. Um, but <laughs> Bud just gets up out of his crib He's and a leaves. Baby. Yeah, which I really love because I expected it to be like some magic had spirited him away, but no, he's just he gets out of his crib and he takes off. <laughs> appreciated because like the very beginning of the novel to me was like extremely scary yeah it's very terrifying to open up a book and be like there's this man and he's already murdered a couple of people yeah stalking this baby and then to suddenly like for Gaiman to like pivot to this sort of bouncy like fatty little chubby baby getting out of his crib adventurous was, was a comfort to me I was like okay I, I can I can deal with these polar opposites. Right yeah, now. yeah. Life from death is definitely a theme in this book, um, and so <laughs> child gets out of the house and he wanders up the hill to a very old, awesome graveyard, um, and the man is still looking for him, but. Two uh, ghosts find him, Mister and Missus Owens, who are ghosts from like the Victorian era. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Owens always wanted children when they were alive. And uh, at first, Mr. Owens is like, no, just put that thing back where it came from. And uh, Mrs. Owens is like, no, like I, we should take care of him. Uh, and all of the ghosts in the graveyard kind of have a council. And 
what helps is that before the council, Mrs. Owens is actually approached by um, Bod's recently deceased mom. Her ghost like shows up like panicked because she hasn't been buried. Like her body hasn't even been discovered. Um, and is just like, please take care of my baby. He's trying to hurt my baby. So Mrs. Owens is like, okay. <laughs> and while the ghosts are arguing over whether Bod is allowed to remain in the graveyard, um, death shows up. Uh, they don't call her death, but she's called like the lady on the gray. She is some sort of like herald of death or she is death. My um, end goals, by the way, she's definitely like, she's really I cool. I want to be she's her. Like, she's really cool. Cobweb gown. She just shows up and pretty much all she says is like, the dead should have charity. And uh, that settles it. Like, they're like, okay, <laughs> she shamed us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the baby is named nobody um, because Mrs. Owen says he looks like nobody except himself when all the other ghosts are trying to be like, he looks like my uncle Jared or whatever. Yeah. Um, and Silas, who is clearly a vampire, um, is also kind of a denizen of the graveyard. His crypt is there. He's away from his home country and he's just kind of a, a vampire hanging out. He's never identified as a vampire, but the characteristics that were given of him, like right at the beginning. Some pretty heavy hints. Right at, yeah, right at the beginning when it's like, Silas only ate one thing and it was not. It wasn't bananas. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I oh, love, okay. I love that line so much. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so it's really great. And so he since he's not a ghost, he can leave the graveyard and he can get food for Bod. So he becomes um, his like caretaker. Uh, and Jack, the man with the knife, is actually still like prowling around by the graveyard and Silas goes up to him and just like kind of mesmerizes him into leaving. <laughs> he convinces him to go. Mm -hmm. He's a vampire. Um, and uh, then we just kind of launch into Bod's childhood and life. Um, we get a few episodes, basically, maybe like five of them, five to six, uh, about Bod's life as he grows up. Um, and uh, the first one is when he's like five, he meets Scarlett Perkins, who is a young girl whose parents <laughs> just take her to the graveyard for exercise, which I was super into until they're like, you can't go there anymore. It's dangerous. You got muddy in the graveyard. <laughs> yeah. It's also, I don't think we've mentioned technically a nature preserve at this point. It's no longer an active graveyard. Right. I think they say the last funeral there was 30 years ago or something right. like that. Yeah. It's just kind of like hanging out. Um, they say something about the council, like just kind of waiting for it to fall down. Um, and also it being like, it's not going to fall down for hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Scarlet and Bod hang out when Scarlet comes, um, Bod is developing some magic powers, uh, including like he can fade from existence, like, so people can't see him anymore. He gets a lot better at them when he grows up. Um, he can also eventually dream walk. Um, but when he is with Scarlet they're they're just like bopping around in the graveyard. Um, and they go into a hill, like into a barrow, uh, which is very scary. And there's a monster there called the Sleer, or like several monsters. It's like one and also many. Yeah, all contained under the Sleer umbrella. Exactly, yeah. Um, and the Sleer have a knife, a goblet, and a brooch. And they tell him that uh, they're waiting for their master and that even if the treasures are stolen, they will come back. Um, treasures. 
Yes. <laughs> I just love the way that Bod expected a pirate's chest. And I then know. he's like, like three little treasures and a dagger here. and a cup. Okay. And they are worth a lot of money due to their age, but Bod just kind of looks at them and he's like, mm, boring. <laughs> this isn't a fidget spinner. <laughs> yep. Yep. Bod's like, no, thank you. And so because Scarlet was in the barrow for an hour or two, when she comes out, they flip out and then they move to Scotland. (laughs) Another important uh, tidbit from an episode is Silas has to leave the graveyard for a while. He's like doing kind of an investigation and it seems like eventually you understand that he's fighting some powerful forces and he sends his friend, Miss Lupescu uh, to take care of Bod because he still needs someone to like get him food and you know, just someone who's corporeal like period. It's kind of important to have around for another corporeal creature. Um, And uh, Bod doesn't like her very much at first, uh, especially because she feeds him actual food instead of like gas station food. Um, And he's not accustomed to that. (laughs) Um, Not not that gas station food does not have like food and nutritive value, but Bod is just not used to like potatoes. Poor Bod has such a limited palate. He does. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We'll talk about it in pretend food, but the food that she makes sounds pretty good. I know, right? It just sounds like yummy Eastern European food. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Bod gets tricked through the ghoul gate, which is like a scary grave um, into an alternate dimension. He's tricked by the ghouls who eat corpses and tell him that he'll have a great time if he goes with them. And he's like feeling neglected at that time. Yeah. He's having his like mid Harry Potter books, adolescent angst. Exactly. So angsty. Yeah. And uh, so he gets into the ghoul city. The ghouls are being really scary. They're like, you're going to be a ghoul and you'll eat corpses. (laughs) Yay. Um, And then Miss Lupescu shows up and just like she is a hound of God or it sounds like a werewolf type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the preferred name of werewolf. Yes, mm-hmm. it, exactly. It's more uh, dignified. Um, and uh, then Miss Lopescu takes him home and now they're friends. Um, Bod also makes friends with a witch uh, who was buried in an unmarked grave, unconsecrated uh, because she was a witch, uh, like declared by the people to be a witch. Um, and she is looking for a headstone because she was like treated and buried so um, namelessly and without dignity. Um, so after being drowned and burned. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so Bod leaves because he's trying to buy, he's trying to pawn one of the artifacts from the Slayer and buy her a headstone. Um, and he gets like temporarily kidnapped by the pawn shop owner. They know that Jack is looking for a boy that fits Bod's description. And the fact that this boy who is pretty weird and seems like he lives in a graveyard comes in (laughs) and tries to pawn an ancient artifact that he says he found in a grave triggers something in his head and he goes to his little Jack card. And then the fact that the card is being moved around and talked about is what alerts Jack to something going on. Right. Um, thank you, Grace. Liza, the witch, is able to help him escape, and he's able to get uh, Liza Headstone, which is homemade, and uh, he, I think it's like a paperweight or something that he, yeah, and then he writes on it or like engraves in it, E.H., which is her name, Elizabeth Hempstock, we don't forget. 
Um, and I thought that was really sweet. I like that story a lot. It was a very touching, um, yeah, moment. Yeah, because he like he like left the graveyard and put himself in danger, but it was for entirely selfless reasons. Like he was trying to do something really beautiful for his friend. Um, a few a few more things happen, including um, there's this amazing like dance interlude where the whole town and all the ghosts like join together in the dance macabre um, or the macabre as Neil Gaiman pronounces in his book for some reason. Uh, I think because it rhymes. Yeah, it's a <laughs> rhyming couplet in the song. Yeah, when he first said that, I was like. Sorry now, <laughs> Mr. Gaiman. Um, but whatever, language is changeable. Um, and everybody forgets about it afterwards, but uh, like the undead don't, or the dead don't forget about it, but it's like forbidden, they tell him, so they don't want to talk to Bod about it. But it helps Bod understand that he is one of the living. Right, that he's firmly in that camp, although he hasn't spent his life among them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's on like the living side of the dance in that um, Bod also for a little bit goes to a school, but he gets too noticed when he confronts bullies, breaks up a long running blackmail scheme by the bullies. Yeah. And then like one of the bullies gets her uncle who's a cop involved <laughs> who behaves very badly. Yeah. <laughs> really badly. Yeah, it made yeah. me really go a cab in the middle of reading. <laughs> Especially because they they know that they behaved really badly too, and they're yeah. talking about it like where Bod can hear them just be like, "We're gonna get in so much trouble." Also, if people find I mean, out. also the way that Bod gets out of it is that he's like, "You just hit my dad," and they both accept that. They're like, "Yeah, we did hit someone with our car, and we would like to cover that up, so yeah, we're just gonna do whatever possible to facilitate exactly, this." Exactly, because the way that he escapes from the cops is that Silas gets hit by the car. Yeah, yeah and. They let him go because they're like, well, if we let you go, will you not tell anyone that we hit your dad with our cop car? (laughs) The whole situation is so funny to me because it's like this young girl, Mo, goes up to her uncle and is like, hey, get me in your cop car and like take me on this thing. Like who... Of course, a cop would say yes to that. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and then be like, how did we get into this pickle? Right. Like, oh. what? by oh, golly, no. what do we do now? I never could have <laughs> yeah, seen this I'm coming. My angry niece's whim. Yeah. Like, who's a small child? It made me begin to question here. Um, yeah. The, the, the police of this town mm-hmm. and... Um, Especially because they didn't investigate the murder. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. it made me wonder if the uncle was a part of the cover up or oh. if there's some sort of like evil forces that have like stake in this town or something. I also wondered and the if cops it was are a part of it. I mean, totally possible. I was like, okay, this just seems like garden variety ineptitude. <laughs> Well, because there isn't room in the book to go into why Bod is the prophesied child that's right. going to end you just this evil know order. That there's a prophecy that he's going to screw up the Jack yeah. triad. Yeah, but it, it, it does make one wonder about that town and about what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And uh, towards the end of the book, we begin learning more about the Jacks um, or like every man jack every man the jack. jack of all trades um he's around 14 uh scarlet is visiting scarlet the little girl from before who moved to scotland she comes back to the town um and she meets a kindly historian making grave rubbings in the graveyard named couldn't be more suspicious mr <laughs> j frost um uh, yeah mm. who uh, 
I'm just a kindly bachelor making grave rubbing. Know, <laughs> Come right? in my car. Come to my house. I just moved here so I could be close to the graveyard. Can I date your mom? <laughs> yeah, right away. He's like... Don't he, you like chocolate or wine? Right, exactly. Like, it gets creepy, but he's like being so nice. Uh, and Scarlet uses Mr. J. Frost um, to learn more about Bod and like the house that he lived in, where his family got murdered, where Mr. J. Frost is now living because Mm -hmm. he bought the house. Um, And uh, you realize really quickly when Mr. J. Frost like sheds his skin basically because he gets Bod in the house Um, like Scarlet thinks she's bringing him there to help him, but then he's like, ha ha, I'm Jack, stabby stab. Um, but Bod manages to escape with Scarlet from the house. Um, there are four other members of the Jacks of all trade, uh, chasing him as well. Um, more of the Jacks have been killed in Ghoulheim. <laughs> yeah, I think that was like the reconnaissance that like Silas was doing. Exactly, with uh, Miss Lupescu. Lupescu. As well yeah. as an Assyrian mummy and an iftar, which I looked up and is a demon from Islamic folklore. And the, the mummy has like a little pig. Yes. <laughs> and ruby eyes, which I feel like. Yes. Yeah. And eagle wings. Yeah, it's it so sounds cool. really cool. Yeah. It sounds super cool. So Terrifying. A werewolf, a mummy, and a vampire. Walk yeah. Into a bar. Yeah. I know. That's, I love the way that Neil Gaiman like turns just common tropes on their heads and makes them really interesting and fun. And, and just layers in different folklores in yeah. a way that feels so exciting because you're not often getting the intersection of these different creatures. Right. Instead of just being stuck in one tradition yeah. where you're like, okay, I know what all these people are about. I know what they're going to do, what they want. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're chased into the graveyard. Um, Bod works on defeating the Jacks. Um, in ways that like only he can because he's using his uh, freedom of the graveyard and his powers that he's been taught and that he can use because he's been uh, kind of on the border between life and death. So he's like slowly fulfilling the prophecy, getting rid of the Jacks. Um, he Jack Frost kidnaps Scarlet and they all end up in the barrow with the Sleer. Um, and... Uh, Jack is getting really excited. It seems like the Sleer are like part of the prophecy or something. And he's like, oh, I'm going to use this dagger for like my ritual or whatever. Um, but Bod knows that the Sleer really want a master because their old master never came back for them or something possibly related to the Jacks. Um, I kind of felt like it was just an insertion of like it was just a naked want. And okay. the Sleer was waiting for someone. Okay. And then... Uh, Jack Frost saw that, hey, this seems like it's set up for some kind of power taking ritual because okay. there's a goblet and a knife um, so that he just he assumes blood should be cut into. Right. Um, That's his way. Yes. <laughs> and so the Sleer is all too happy to step into that vacuum. Yeah, because they've said before to Bod, like, do you want to be our master? Like, we'll wrap you up and keep you safe and you'll never leave. Yeah. <laughs> Bod's like, okay, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but he tricks Jack because Jack is like, oh, yeah, sure. I want to be your master because he doesn't realize what they mean. Um, and then it it just like it grabs him and like pulls him into itself and goes into the wall. Mm-hmm. And then Jack and the Slayer are gone. 
Um, they are protecting him from the world forever. <laughs> um, Silas comes back shortly after that. He's been gone during all this, which is why it's been tough um, and why Bod had to resolve everything himself. Um, he says that Miss Lepescu uh, has passed, that they were members of this thing called the Honor Guard, um, and their jobs had been protecting the borders between worlds, basically. So that's what they've been doing. They've been fighting against the Jacks, but Miss Lupescu uh, doesn't make it through the battle. Um, Justice for Miss Lupescu. Yes, I know. I was really bummed about that. I really liked her. Scarlet freaks out. She goes into like a psychosis, I feel like, or something like, oh, she she's like in shock. Yeah. Yeah. And she, because she says that Bod's actions were ethically questionable, which I, thoroughly disbelieve yeah we'll get into scarlet's uh, attitude yeah <laughs> um, because it, these men were actively trying to kill them right yeah self-defense scarlet <laughs> uh, and bod didn't kill anyone right exactly he found ways not to he just like imprisoned them in like shadow realms yeah you're just in Gulheim <laughs> forever better than death <laughs> no hello um so Silas is like, let's take away some of Scarlet's memories because she can't handle the truth. Um, and so he uses his power of vampire suggestion uh, to convince Scarlet and her mother to go back to Scotland, which they do. Um, at the very end of the book, Bod is around 15 years old and he is losing his ability to see, speak with the ghosts. Um, He's losing his freedom of the graveyard. And so Silas tells him, like, you're old enough now. You have to, like, actually Mm -hmm. join the world of the living. Um, And he gives him some money and a passport. Uh, I don't know where he got that passport from. He said it was really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Which, But he has, like international connection yeah. Silas very true very true he's yeah. a thousands year old vampire you're right he definitely can get someone a passport if he needs to <laughs> um, and so yeah Bod says goodbye to his parents Mr. and Mrs. Owens um, who are very sweet and kind of like find it tough to be mm-hmm. saying goodbye to him mm-hmm. um, but then he leaves the graveyard to head out on his life yeah mm. <laughs> Thanks, Madeline, for that plot summary. We'll get into our old and new impressions, how we felt first reading the book and how we felt revisiting it through fresh eyes or for the first time. Both are equally valid <laughs> reading experiences. Um, yeah. Would you like to go first, Madeline? Yeah. I remember being young when I read it. So I, I guess I was 18, um, which is quite young considering. Um, How old we are now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Almost twice that old now. (laughs) Um, And I liked it so much. And that's actually really interesting to me that I read it around when I was 18 because I wasn't reading a lot at that time in my life, like end of high school and then college. And then I didn't start reading for pleasure again too much until like we started this podcast which I've talked about before and uh, I liked it so much like it was just such a cool book um because right away it grabs you with like the scariness um which hooked me and got me into it and I think that it also even at that age started to help me be less afraid of death Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure that it's done for many people mm-hmm. because that is like a huge theme in the book is that death is something that absolutely every human has in common. It is all around us. It is constantly around, you know, not just humans, like most if not all organic things on this planet. I'm thinking of like that fungus that's like a thousand years old. Yeah, I was like, what is it dying? <laughs> Could you tell me? Other than the zombie mycelium of whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, or I was thinking of that like 500 year old giant clam that researchers pulled up and then immediately accidentally killed it. Um, oh but I mean, yeah, so there's its death. <laughs> that's what we're talking about now. Um, and, it, you know, of course, it's terrifying to ponder being not when we are, um, like to lose that sense of just self and soul and, you know, action as an alive creature it, in no small part due to its incredibly shared and communal nature. Like that's something that we can use to be less afraid of it mm-hmm. because it's something that everyone goes through mm-hmm. and that like we can help each other through instead of like spurning and being afraid of because like it's an inevitability. So it's better to figure out a way to make our peace with that. Dance macabre, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just the, the beautiful union between living and death and the way that all of the dead characters in the book talk about it. Um, I, some of the characters are just so much fun. All of the characters are a lot of fun. I particularly love the um, ancient Roman, I think. Mm-hmm. Who, Yeah, and when you get into his head a little bit, it talks about like the terrible creatures up north who we will soon wall off because they are too savage to be made a part of the Roman Empire. Yeah. <laughs> just those little like asides from like the incredibly different histories and cultures that these people have come from. Um, and it's also, as I'm thinking about it now, there's a lot of showing about how death supports life. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that earlier, how there's a theme about, um, life coming from death, which is absolutely like that physically it's, it's happening constantly all around us. Like that death leads to life. That's how our ecosystems work. Um, and, uh, the first time I read this, I didn't realize that Silas was a vampire until all the way at the end of the book. When, when they're in the pizza restaurant um, and he doesn't have a reflection in the table. I think it was when he's showing him his coffin full of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty clear as well. Uh, yeah. It's not a normal bed. <laughs> because, I, I mean, I was 18, so I was yeah. in a very strong mindset of like, vampire is sexy. Bill <laughs> <laughs> <Bell> Compton. <laughs> yeah. Or like... Um, it was the height and rice. Yeah. Of your and rice. Oh, yeah. Wow. And yeah. That was like the height of twilight too. Yeah. Right. It mm-hmm. was a big time for vampires. Because, big time. because I read the first twilight book because I was a kid and I was like, okay, yeah, this is book vampire sexy. And then I discovered Anne rice from mm-hmm. there. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> now they're actually sexy. <laughs> like I will always love Lestat so much. Um, favorite time. Tom Cruise role of all time from the movie Interview with the Vampire. I know. I was looking at you guys, but then I was like, I should probably clarify for our listeners. You know that one famous Anne Rice movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, 
And so that was fun for me because this time at the very beginning when it said Silas only ate one thing and it wasn't bananas, I was like, he's a vampire. Mm-hmm. Talking about blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, doesn't he like wear a cape too? Yeah, he wears a cape and he has all of the classic vampire characteristics. And There's also a lion when they're in the tomb in uh, Krakow where there's a mirror trap that kills Iptar and then the narration says mirrors didn't bother Silas, so right. he covered it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I've, I just found this such a comforting read. Um, holidays are often stressful for me, even though I had like a truly lovely time. Um, it's just been uh, like a, an intense couple weeks. It's my, a couple days after Thanksgiving right now. Yes. And last weekend, my cat ran away. She came back. She's totally fine. But so it's just been a bit of a stressful time. <laughs> and I actually found this book to be incredibly comforting. Justice, would you like to get into some of your impressions of the Graveyard Book? So this was my first time reading uh, the Graveyard Book. And it was my first Neil Gaiman a novel. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's so, awesome. This is one of my favorite books of his. So good start. I'm a game and noob. <laughs> um, Great place to enter. Yeah. yeah, no. And so I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this book. Um, I was an avid reader um, growing up, but my genre wasn't young adult fantasy. Mm. It was um, more like uh, I re- I love Sharon Creech novels. Oh my god, I love Sharon Creech. What's yes. What's an example of a Sharon Creech? Um, the Wanderer, Bloomability, Walk to Moon. Okay, okay. Um, novels that are like told through like verse or letters. Louise Renaissance, Confessions of Georgia Nicholson, like oh. Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. Yeah. Um, and then I was heavy into the Alice series by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, oh, yeah. Amelia's Notebook series oh. by Marissa Moss I was mm-hmm. super into. And so those were my go-tos. Um, but as I've been growing, as I've gotten older, I realized that uh, young adult fantasy novels um, through y'all basically has been um, a great way to like get in touch with the parts of my childhood that I didn't feel comfortable in accessing. Mm. Um, and this book, especially um, reading it as a 32 year old um, who used to be very much afraid of death mm. um, to have had this book when I was younger would have been, I think really nice. Cause yeah. when this book came out, my um, mom was very sick um, and she and I was struggling with like my um, mom becoming handicapped and not being um, able to do things physically that she was once able to do. And so um, these ideas about mortality, about my family, like um, my current family status sort of dying and mm-hmm. being rebirthed into something else was right. very much on my mind. Um, and so I feel like this would have helped (laughs) a little bit. Um, but now, you know, as someone who, um, witnesses and supports people in their last moments of life, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like any opportunity to talk about one's mortality and not avoid the subject of death Mm. is super important. We live in such a death adverse culture. We really just want to not talk about it, push it to the side. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just like 
until it, and then wait until it happens. Right. I don't actually think that's the best idea. <laughs> no. um, just like abandoning our elders waiting until they die. Or being like, yeah, we'll just like cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. It's like, no, let's like put a couple of stones in place mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and talk about it. And so I think this is a great jumping off point for parents and children to sort of start talking about like, what is mortality? What is death? Um, and I loved this quote very early on in the book where it said a graveyard is not normally a democracy and Mm. yet death is the great democracy. Yeah. And each of the dead had a voice and they were determined to be heard that night. Um, and I love that because death is a, is the greatest democracy. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos is going to die. Elon Musk is going to die just like the rest of us. We can't plan when or how or whatever. Um, but there's no avoiding it. And we want, and we try so hard as a culture to avoid it. Mm. Um, and so I really appreciated this book that it was just like, nope, this little boy lives in a graveyard. He's surrounded by dead people all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not freaked out by it. In fact, it's his home. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so walking with our, walking with spirits, walking with energy that was once alive, that is no longer alive mm-hmm. can be very beneficial and like therapeutic for us. Um, and he goes to, I love the way he goes to tons of different, ghosts in the graveyard throughout like to interact with them and to get their like wisdom and experience when he needs it. Yeah. Everyone has something to offer, Mm -hmm. even though we're, we're all going to die. We're all going to die differently. Um, and our lives are just so different Mm -hmm. from everybody else's, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there's always something to learn. And so I really appreciated like his curiosity, I think is ultimately, um, what allows him to see the dead the afterlife mm-hmm. as something that isn't um, scary or something dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I like to cultivate that curiosity yeah. with the end of yeah. life. And like, yeah. let's just be a little curious about it mm-hmm. and get imaginative. Yeah. 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 His found family, the graveyard denizens, yeah. um, also inspire a lifelong love of learning in him. And yes. that's what ultimately drives him to want to leave the graveyard because he wants to, he realizes that there are appealing things about quote unquote life mm-hmm. that he hadn't necessarily realized before. Mm-hmm. One of the lines that really stuck out to me was when he's talking to Silas, I believe, about the danger of Jack and saying, well, he wants to kill me. What's the big deal? All my best friends are dead. Exactly. And it's just such a commentary on ways of being and how it's so striking when Bob does have his moment that he starts leaning into, oh, I'm alive during the dance macabre, mm-hmm. um, which is such a glorious, like a chapter I appreciated more on this reread than I did when I was younger. It reminded me of the wind in the willows chapter in the middle of the book when they mm. meet Pan um, and have their like metaphysical oh, glory of nature, yeah. like touching God moment. It's so trippy. Yeah. We have an episode on wind in the willows if you want to hear more, yeah. um, but it felt very so Similar and like, okay, we're, we're laying down our, our living or dying, not dying, but dead status. Um, we're coming together and even horrible villains like the owner of the pawn shop, he was out there dancing too. Yeah. Um, all are equal. We all partake in the dance. Exactly. Um, but the fact that it was that equality that made Bod start realizing, oh, I am alive and I do want to start trying to live in that world right. and walk between the two. Yeah. I got stuff to do. Yeah. 
I really enjoyed that quote that you were bringing up, Grace, where he was like, well, you know, y'all are dead and that's kind of great. So why wouldn't I want to be dead? Mm -hmm. Silas's answer to nobody, I feel like is so profound. He says, like, it, it, you would lose the potential. Yeah. You know, you have so much in front of you. Yeah. Life is, life is all about that potential. And when you're dead, that that potentiality or whatever is, is gone. Mm-hmm. You don't have that ability anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me was like a really nice, uh, distinction mm-hmm. between life and death. Yeah. That wasn't scary. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um, just more like factual and also very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Doing or not doing. And that doesn't need to have a negative or positive connotation on either side necessarily. Yeah. So this book came out when I was in college um, in 2008, and I I got a copy and read it right away. Um, I think it was a gift from my mom, and it was a period in my life when I was super depressed, um, really struggling with a lot of things, and this book paired with conveniently timed um my first psilocybin experience, which I won't go into detail here. <laughs> Subscribe great. to Dragon Babies After Dark. <laughs> really, really good for depression. More. Great for bipolar. Learn more. <laughs> um, but I, throughout my life, have had... Um, when I was young, I really had a panic association with the concept of death or being able to ponder sort of infinite space or time in any kind of real way. Yeah, um, I didn't even like looking up into the stars. Well, you know you out. know about my fear of large maps. I mean, oh, I've talked yeah. about this before. Yeah. <laughs> um, or depictions of the cosmos. Um, yes, and they would cause like panic attacks for me when I was young, especially when I couldn't sleep when I was a little kid. Um, and, and did death and pondering death was very much tied up in that. Um, but having a book like this that is depicting the living, the dead as really equal characters making their own way through this experience, Mm -hmm. whether it is being dead or being alive is just super, super comforting. And the way that like justice was mentioning the book opens with these very disturbing murders. Mm -hmm. Um, then we cut immediately to all that potential within this year and a half year old toddler Mm -hmm. who is just moving out into the world and finding out what's next. Um, and the juxtaposition of the, potential of the living as well as the wisdom and guidance of the dead throughout mm. the book was really beautiful and profound. Mm. Um, and I also love that when bot goes to school, he gets points taken off because he keeps adding in details in his history papers about things that maybe didn't happen the way that people say that they happen. Um, <laughs> or like someone who was there might be saying right, like, I have a primary source. <laughs> exactly. I know. I kept thinking that I was like, he's surrounded by primary sources. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, was, was very exciting for me. I have a tangential question. Mm-hmm for Mm -hmm. y'all and I think well it's not very tangential I think it's very on the nose I'm ready Um, do y'all remember the first time in your life that you realized that you were mortal that you were going to die do you have a memory of that because I do I have a very vivid memory of me being like oh I'm gonna die one day Hmm. well I'm curious to hear yours my mom used to uh, record soap operas on VHS tapes okay and um 
and then we also had like a lot of childhood videos. And so there was like always a VH, VHS mm-hmm. tape sort of around our TV. And I put in a childhood videotape one day um, and it was me as a baby with my little brother or my, not my little brother, my big brother. Oh my gosh. Um, I only have one brother and he's older. Um, he was probably smaller at the time. Exactly. Yes. Um, and, and, and we were blowing bubbles and I think I was like maybe seven or eight years old and it hit me that, you know, I was never going to be that baby ever again. Mm. Um, that I'm only ever going to get older. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of took me to those places of me being like, oh, well, then one day I'll, I'll not be anything anymore. Yeah. And in that same evening, we were unloading firewood because it was the fall and my leg got like, I was like in the truck bed with all the firewood and my leg got stuck in between like these logs. And I mm. had this like moment of panic yeah. um, that I obviously like really haven't forgotten to this day. And I remember my dad like pulling me out of the wood and me being like, I'm never going to be a baby again. And I'm going <laughs> to oh. die one day and all of the stuff. And he's like, where did this come from? <laughs> and I was like, this really cute video of me as a baby, you know? Oh. Um, but then I would spend summers like wide awake at night, kind of like the way it sounds like you did, where I was just like, wow, like death, <laughs> vastness of the universe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do y'all have any memories like that? I think I have less of like a flashbulb realization and more of like a general, like, you know, a journey towards there. And I think a big part of it was, um, I've always been fascinated like many humans by archaeology and, um, like anthropological archaeology, which I guess is redundant. Um, but a different, a different focus. Yeah. Overlapping fields. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I especially really, really liked the stories about like, you know, they would find a super early human, um, who like maybe even wasn't a homo sapiens sapiens, but like something prior to that or a little different. Right. Yeah. And, uh, to, to see these, just ancient people who were buried with, with love. And those were my favorite ones where they would like find someone in a grave who was like, um, buried like right next to their deceased loved ones. And they like put all of their like little trinkets and a weapon in with them. And oh, yeah, like, and you could find like, there would be, you, there would be evidence of like flowers cause there would be right. like mm-hmm. seeds and things. Yeah. I loved that too, mm-hmm. Madeline. Love that. Yeah. And that kind of, brought to me like, oh, these people, they lived thousands and thousands of years ago. They had full lives. They they loved. They they did all of the things that living people do today. And they have also been gone for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Like the little their episode happened like so long ago, but now we're like able to see them and learn these things about them. And that kind of made me think about like me and everyone that I know and love, our episodes will also end and retreat into the distant past. Mm -hmm. And I love getting the epitaphs throughout the book for each individual that he comes across. And I feel like that's that direct commentary. I'm like, okay, this is how they or their loved ones wanted them to be remembered Mm -hmm. or be noted in some particular fashion, whether it was, you know, writer, mother, or just like 
now only a memory. Some of them were so Intense. haunting. Yeah. <laughs> and then the only the only other thing that I'm thinking of was they it you know, it's long been like a, a fringe theory, maybe even not that fringe. I'm not a scientist. Um on Mars, it's probably a fringe theory talking about like, oh, maybe Mars like had civilizations and they have crumbled into dust so long ago that there's like literally nothing left of them. Um, like it's just this desert planet, which again, I don't, I don't think that's ever happened on Mars, but on many other planets in the, not just our galaxy potentially, but the billions of other galaxies that exist in the universe, like Thinking about that too, about infinity, mm-hmm. really frames your own non-infinite nature. Totally. <laughs> well, because we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're ever going to be yeah. alive. So much longer. Yeah, which is what triggered all those panic attacks. <laughs> and I, I have not existed for billions of years and and right now i have this time i'm i'm here i'm alive and that's very special you know mm-hmm. yeah so i guess i didn't have like um any traumatic experiences with death when i was a child um you know my cat died but it it was and then butler eventually died but i was like 15 16 when that happened mm-hmm. Um, classic first dead pet experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, but it, that's, that stuff didn't really hit me. Like I needed the, the human connection, mm-hmm. I think yeah. <laughs> because it's much, I feel like it's much easier for us to accept maybe not of our own pets, but just like animal death because we see it, like we see dead animals all the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, versus like human death. I feel like we treat very differently. Yeah. Anyways, that's my rambly, how I learned that I'm going to die. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah. And I also, I don't have a particular moment because I think I've been like obsessed with thinking about my death for my entire life. Yeah. And that's why we're friends, Grace. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, yeah. I, our cat, um, Calvin died. No, this oh, is you're talking about way it. before Calvin. Yeah. Talking about Molly, who yeah. you have no memory of. No, I don't. Um, our cat died suddenly and violently when she was um, pretty young. And I mean, I was five, I think. Yeah. Um, so I remember I every two. detail of that super well. Um, and my whole life I've been obsessed with thinking about how many years I have lived and then trying to quantify that experience to know how much more to expect. Mm. Um, not Not in terms of like how many more years I have exactly, but like how much more living will I do yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh what's ahead like have all the great experiences already been experienced mm-hmm. um and I think that's very tied up in the concept of death as well um yeah so my answer is never not thinking about it <laughs> always on my mind that death <laughs> 
But yeah, so I'll just wrap up my impressions with um, saying that this book was very soothing as a depressed person, as someone who has depression. I love it very much. It feels very special to me. And there's also the component of the protagonist being like an awkward, unsocialized, relatively child. Right. um, Instead of the hero boy. Yeah. And who doesn't know if he wants to be in school, but he even says when he's there, I'm not here to make friends. Yeah. I just want to (laughs) learn. I'm here to learn. Okay, Tyra. <laughs> and even so, like being weird and also purposefully fading so that people don't notice him. And right. as someone who was told in high school that I really blend into the background by a classmate, I can relate. Um, Very nice of you, classmate. Oh, it was a whole thing. <laughs> I had a teacher tell me I was scary once, a little bit like that. <laughs> jealous i want to be told i'm scary yeah by a teacher i don't think he meant it as an insult he Mm -hmm. was like talking about something i was doing like i was reading a spooky looking book or something and he was like that looks a little bit scary just like you're a little bit scary madeline and then he (laughs) he just kind of like i could tell that he was like oh probably shouldn't have said that (laughs) he just walked away isn't it amazing when you see an authority of figure an authority figure of some kind in real time be like, oh no, that's going to stick. Yeah, and like then they just get out. <laughs> They're like, I'm going to leave before I can do further damage to this child. In those moments, I like literally will walk backwards out of a room. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. Like, oh. <laughs> no, thank you. But actually, in retrospect, I don't hold any ill will against him at all because I like being a little bit scary. <laughs> Exactly. I think you cultivate that now. Yeah, yeah. Now I've embraced it. At that point, I was just kind of like, oh, come on, man. Well, and it's, I feel like it's one of those comments where um, it's it's a more, it's about them comment. Mm, it's like right. when someone, like, I right. have always been called intimidating on first impressions. Because like, I was always intimidated by it. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a me problem. That sounds like a you problem. That sounds like a you thing. Very good point. Yeah. So it, it, you, you, wow, what a powerful teenager you were. Were you a teenager? I was a teenager. Yeah, I was like to be 15. called scary cool. by a teenager, that's incredible. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, But I was just saying that Bod, even as someone who's fading into the background, can't help but get involved in this bullying scheme and try to right the injustice that's taking place. Yeah. Um, Even though he attracts some, you know, would-be powerful enemies. (laughs) But he has such a... I think the other thing that I really appreciated and soothes me is that he has such a confidence that he's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think it's also because he pedals in fear. Like he learned how to create okay. fear and also escalate it to terror as, as, a, as weapon. a protective. Right. Yeah. yeah like as a protective weapon. measure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he always knows that he can wield it, but not necessarily succumb to it. Mm-hmm. I thought the way that the book talked about fear was, yeah pretty fascinating as well and i do get the sense from bod that even prior to the the dance macabre Mm -hmm. that um he that there was a that he was in a special situation Mm -hmm. and so it's like he can't help but sort of use his primary sources like Mm -hmm. he can't help himself because he just like his tools he and he yeah he wants to uh give that kind of knowledge which i again i think that goes to show that his curiosity is like boundless yeah yeah neil gaiman is so adept at incorporating so many different 
folkloric and also cultural tidbits and ideas and his adult books in particular. I mean, American Gods is just like nonstop uh, references to anything and everything that you can imagine. We were talking about how it's interesting that Neil Gaiman actually wrote some of the book at Tori Amos's house and he has... Castle. Yeah. And he has a Tori Amos line at the end of his Newberry medal acceptance speech which is included at the end of the book um and as as someone who as a teen and to this day is a devoted tory fan um i found very very appealing although i was also sad that he didn't mention diana Wynne jones in the credits the acknowledgments (laughs) yeah no also a big tory amos fan and so he has at the end of the book um lyrics from her very short but like haunting song graveyard I said she's gone, but I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm coming in the graveyard to sing you to sleep now. Um, And it wasn't just like Tori Amos impressions that I got from this book. Um, But towards the end when Bod is, you know, about to take his first steps outside of the cemetery, Mm. like, permanently. Um, He says, I want to see life. I want to hold it in my hands. I want to leave a footprint on the sand of a desert island. I want everything. And honeys, I could not get out of my head the Dixie Chicks song, Cowboy Take Me Away, because they sing, I want to hold it in my hands. I want to hold something wild and unruly. And I'm like, cowboy, take me away. And I'm like, yes, bod, get it, honey. Oh, man. Get that Dixie Chicks life. Oh, I love that. Life. Amazing. We'll, we'll Fantastic put links, crossover. We'll put links to both songs on our episode page on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Um, so yeah, so there was like that musical number. And then him being named Nobody, I couldn't help but think of the song Nobody by Mitski. And so for all of you music heads out there, um, those are a couple of songs that I took away from (laughs) this book. I love it. Extra audio experience. Um, Yeah, I feel like Neil Gaiman's books are well read along with pop music. So Mm. I think this is very fitting. Um, And yeah, we'll we'll link all of those so y'all can check them out. Nobody is such a good name. Um, It's a power name. Bod is an even more (laughs) powerful name. I love the name Bod. And also, like, that also just reminded me of those, like, holiday commercials, hot bod. (laughs) I want your bod. Like, the fragrance, bod fragrance for men. We'll also link the YouTube commercial. Smells like churchyard moss. (laughs) (laughs) Smells like a Google gate. It's disgusting. So, yeah, references on references for me. Oh, for sure. It it also (laughs) made me think about... um, Odds Bodkin, who I've yes. talked about several times on this podcast before. It, I, his name was Odds Bodkin. He was a traveling storyteller, and our Latin class sold chocolate bars all year so that we could pay for his plane flight <gasps> for him to come to our auditorium. And like mm-hmm. everybody in the school went because the teachers like talked to each other and they realized that it was going to be amazing and that they should pack the auditorium. Um, he, and he just sat up on stage with his guitar and he did part of the Odyssey and he made like, he would whistle for bird sounds. He did a wind sound. He would like 
emote and use his guitar to do the sunrise. Oh my um, God. It was so incredible. It was worth all those chocolate bars. It was, yeah. I, I just bought most of <laughs> mine and ate them. The rosy-fingered dawn. <laughs> yes, yeah. And he, he like... When he did different characters' voices, he like turned into them on the stage, even though he was just sitting up there with his guitar the whole time, like with Polyphemus, um, the uh, Cyclops. Mm -hmm. Um, He like closed one of his eyes and the other one got really big and he would (laughs) would lean into the mic and he was like, Polyphemus. Oh my God. It was so good. Well, and that chapter too reminds me of that book from the Odyssey reminds me of this book too, because uh, Odysseus Mm -hmm. says that his name is like no one or nobody. Yeah, um, to my fool name is the Cyclops. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, Homer? Yeah. <laughs> Great tie-in. Great point. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I just want a little video of you doing polyphemus <laughs> that we can put up <laughs> on Instagram. It's permanently we'll etched into my mind. <laughs> I am so sad. I feel like, well, I'm also an adult now and I don't dabble much in the professional storytelling world, but I feel like there are fewer of those jobs available. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm sure that certain ones who are savvy have mm-hmm. found great success online. Mm-hmm. Like, True. I wonder if people do it on Twitch. But it's but being in their yeah. presence it's is kind of also important. very important yeah. to the experience. Yeah, and being like in the auditorium that's dark and they're lit on stage and like mm-hmm. you can't get distracted or take mm-hmm. your phone out or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get into romantic realism as a way of talking about Scarlet, because I think she's a very interesting character. Um, There isn't a romance per se between her and Bod, but they have a very important friendship because it's unlike it's unlike what either of them have experienced before for a few reasons. Right. Um, And it's odds or Bod's uh, first living mm -hmm. friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But Scarlet is complicated. Um, I, I think that it pushes Bod further into the realm of the dead that he's seen as an imaginary friend yeah. by her and her parents. Um, and, I, and it's interesting that it's something that he kind of just accepts. He never really ends. And it's not like she's saying to him a lot, you're imaginary, but she mentions it a few times and I, he never responds with, I'm alive. I kind of wondered if he was just like, okay, this way no one will think there's a real boy living in the graveyard. Right. I'll or, be left or alone. Or if he even like considered that, you know, like oh, what if he okay. didn't even really know if it's he was alive, of what alive meant. Paradigm at that point. Yeah. Um, at least in the beginning. And then later when they meet again, I mm-hmm. feel like it's another. Right. It's different. Scarlet grew up bad, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Did not like Scarlet when she returned to Me the graveyard. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, I was bummed. And granted, we don't we don't really know anything about her life other than that she had friends in Glasgow and she is very trusting of strange men. <laughs> and is like. And her parents got divorced. And has a. Um, difficult relationship with her mom yes (laughs) yeah um but she was also so like mean to the bus driver i don't know they're just like these little things she just like wasn't chill didn't she came back appeal to me and but i also kind of like that she wasn't like special like she was a little girl who just happened to come across bod and in that way where when you're a child you can when you're at that young age you can kind of be friends with anyone like it's true it's just about like running around and like getting into scrapes yeah um and there's also that sadness when bod is thinking about how the the kids in um the the fort 
no, the boy's name is Fortinbras, um, mm. of that big family of ghosts, right. um, where mm. they were really close when he was young, but he gets older and Fortinbras stayed, you know, five. Yeah. Um, and so their relationship can't continue. Um, but yeah, I, I like that Scarlet wasn't like specially gifted in some way to like speak to the dead or see Bod. She was just like a curious little girl who wore bright clothes, oh, who wore bright clothing and that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I appreciated that. I think the thing for she was just a jerk for me. Well, <laughs> so, so it's like, I understand it, but then I'm also like eh, about it yeah. is, um, you know, it's one of those things where unless your imagination as a child is cultivated mm. to continue to believe in these very magical, mystical things, you will lose the you'll, ability. You'll yeah. lose it. And yeah. so there was this, I was very yeah. disappointed um, when Scarlett came back and she kind of had a recollection of him, mm-hmm. but she, it wasn't based in like, this actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like she over these years believed her parents that it was an Mm -hmm. imaginary friend and blah, 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 blah. And so it was disappointing for me to see her older, not have the ability to believe in this alternative Mm -hmm. universe right in front of her. Yeah. Um, And she lost the ability to see the Sleer, which maybe you don't want to see. Yeah, that might be okay. (laughs) That might be better for her. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, so I appreciated that, but then, um, also, when she returns, a lot of her, to me, the way that, she, like, she was sort of like the tie to bring Bod to Jack. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that really needed to happen. Like, mm-hmm. Bod had all of the tools to go do archival to to do research in the library himself. Yeah, very yeah. true. Very true. And he loves libraries right. all on his own. You know, it's it's already something that um, plot-wise would make sense. Yeah, I'm not totally sure why she stepped back in um, just to make things feel a little more complex, like yeah. more loose ends being tied up maybe. And it's But it's just very sad. It, it would be different if at the end then she was his kind of link to the living world. Like right. they, they had this closer relationship and they bonded because of that experience with mm-hmm. the Jacks, but it's the opposite. She doesn't, she will not remember him. Right. Because yeah. she's still able, like she's, they meet in the dream, you know, so yeah. she's still able to communicate with him in dreams. And so it's like, I, you know, she may not have all of the powers or the freedom of the graveyard but she has or some whatever, spark. but there is still something yeah. there. And yeah, at the end of the book, um, and you, she's his first hug. Oh my his god! First hug. See, I don't remember what my oh. first hug is because I, you know. Well, that's good. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Exactly. That's good. Because <laughs> babies need to be hugged. Because well, yeah, I'm sure Silas isn't the best hugger, if at all. Yeah, like, I don't I think, think Silas one, does hug because no, they like I, I think shake They make hands. a point of shaking hands every time there's physical contact. Yeah, because yeah, like Bod wants a hug, but then he's like, "But do I?" Silas <laughs> is not one who hugs. Yeah. Um, but it does make me really sad that Bod is utterly alone at the end of the book. Yeah. Even yeah. though he's like stepping out on his own, there's like he, w- even if he does return to the graveyard eventually, mm-hmm. like I don't think he'll be able to see his parents or like communicate with them. Well, and I think that's where we get into the allegory of the book being about about parenting and about coming of age and about like reaching that point where it's more dramatic here because he can no longer even see his parents, special circumstances, but he has to separate and yeah, has to go off and be on his own until he 
builds his own community. Yeah. And I brutal. Yeah. <laughs> I I had a strong feeling of like I mean, I had a lot of mental health issues. Um, but I remember often, including like in law school, um, just being like I really want to be independent and be able to do things for myself, but I'm so scared. <laughs> like, I don't know how, and you know, they're going to laugh at me and like, what are, what are even the steps I take to become an adult? I don't want to be an adult. I want to be a baby again. <laughs> That's why Bod needs to put on his headphones, put on Dixie chicks, cowboy, take me away and just like walk into the sunset with right the strength, on. with the strength. Yeah. And I, I feel like I have more agency in my life now than I've ever, ever had before. I feel so much more like in control of what I do and who I am. Um, so there's a lesson in that. Like you can get there. It just takes yes. a lot of time. It takes 30 years. <laughs> hey, 30 years isn't that long comparatively. A lot of people go their whole lives without feeling like That's they true. are in control of their themselves and That's that they true. have agency over their lives. Yeah, it's a good point. Remember that. <laughs> okay, I think it's time for your animals. Just animals? like animals in animals. this book. Animals in this book. We are, have wait, so there? many creatures, yeah. um, but I hesitate to call any of them an animal. No, Miss Lupescu is not an animal. No. She is a werewolf slash um, hound of God. <laughs> which <laughs> I'm going to start referring to myself as a hound of God. I am a hound of God. Which can we just, um, is evocative of Kate Bush, people. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking okay. about that, actually. Yeah. Hounds of love hounds over of love. here. Yeah. Hounds of love. <laughs> and she is. She is a hound she of love. She is a hound of love. Yeah. She is. Oh, she's so magnificent. She, she takes care of Bod, even though right away he calls her terrible. <laughs> And then Silas says, that was rude. Like, that was rude. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, there. I think that there is an important animal pair, which is the fox and cat that live in the graveyard oh. and have been there throughout Bod's life. Right. And they're one of his first signals that he is growing and changing and he's not a part of the graveyard anymore when it's time for him to leave because they run away from him instead of, you know, maybe letting him pet them. Right, instead of being like, oh, hey, go friend <laughs> kind of ghost friend Which honestly is i'm convinced that's what my cat is doing half the time when she's just like sitting facing away from me and meowing at the air talking to ghosts yeah Definitely. It's we live in an old that. house <laughs> um and then of course the gray lady's horse which shows mm. up at a few key points in the book. And I love that one of Bod's last thoughts as he's leaving the graveyard is that he will see her one day, um, yeah. but not, but he won't see her again, do. but he knows that he won't see her again until that day. Um, so yeah, he's seizing life Did you see to it? life. <laughs> Did you see the picture I sent you? Oh, oh wow. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, there, so there was a um, different British children's edition that was illustrated by a different illustrator. I, I think that's, that's what, what that this from. is. That picture is so cool. Well, didn't they turn the graveyard book into a um, graphic novel as well? Uh, yeah, so it's also Definitely a graphic that novel. Um, that, that makes sense. Neil Gaiman has a lot of books that he even wrote specifically to be graphic novels. Well, he wrote Sandman. Right, yeah. yeah. And he, I've seen some other graphic novel versions mm -hmm. of book cities, but I didn't know that this one was a graphic novel. Oh. I bet it's really cool. Definitely going to check that out. Yeah.
sadly, the the movie was initially um, Disney acquired the rights and hired Henry Selleck to direct it, who huh. directed Coraline, yeah, and The Nightmare Before was Christmas, it going to be and like James a? The Giant Peach? No, no, Disney had it, oh. and then they moved it to Pixar, and then Selleck left. And then Ron Howard was going to direct it. <laughs> that was in 2013. Right. And yeah, nothing has happened since. When Ron Howard was king. <laughs> right. The Ron <laughs> Howard years. It's fallen out of my favor. No, I don't know. He didn't do anything. Just, I don't know anything It's not about as popular now. Other than what Arrested Development says about it. Getting old. Um, okay. So let's talk about pretend food. Pretend food. Really interesting handling of food in this book, I would say. Yeah. Bot is not a foodie, y'all. I'm sorry to say. He's not a foodie. He eats for sustenance. He was raised by ghosts. They don't eat at all. <laughs> no, he it, it it's complicated. And he becomes accustomed to a diet of like late night takeout because that's what Silas can get for him. Right. And I I couldn't help but feel stressed throughout the book of like, he doesn't have a kitchen. Like there's no, I don't know. I love cooking. I love kitchens. I love feeling cozy. But he just, you know, grabs and mushes into his mouth what he can, when he can. Um, and it's really interesting that there's the practicality of like, there has to be a person there who can walk out of the graveyard so that he can get food because it's not safe for him to leave because of Jack. So when Silas goes away, Miss Lupescu has to come just to get him food. And, and she's offering him so much more than that. And he even verbalizes that at one point. He's like, she was doing more than just bringing food. Um, and it's, it's that double whammy of they have to have someone who can leave the graveyard who is corporeal, who can grasp yes. things with their Hold hands. Hold the food. And yeah. bring them back. Silas <laughs> can leave the graveyard and is corporeal, but it can only go out at night. Right. And then he has these other errands he needs to run off on. to do. Um, yeah, I love the initial banana um, because it teaches us something about Silas. It teaches us about the Owenses because they're like, oh, he's so messy. No. <laughs> and of course, it was a great call on Silas's part because... That's a good food I'm to give to a one and a half year old. Yeah, knew yeah. what to give to a little babe. Right. But I, was, I was ready for him to bring it back like a pizza or something and just be like, eat the pizza, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I do love that the final moment of kind of camaraderie between Bod and a graveyard resident is when he and Silas go to get pizza. Yeah. Um, and there's a magnificent illustration of because it happens right after they're with the Sleer. Um, and on one page is the, <laughs> the Sleer's three heads, and on the other is the most gorgeous, wafting, fragrant piece of pizza that you've ever seen. Oh my goodness! It is oh, nuts. Okay, and he actually did—he did the drawing, made the tail of the Sleer go through the pizza and become the steam coming off of the pizza. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool. Pretty I know. Cool. The we'll put some of our favorite illustrations up on social media on our website as well. It's both really appetizing and terrifying. Like, I want to yeah. eat it, but then I also want to avoid that slice of pizza entirely. Right. I don't know what I want. I don't, no. I don't want the Sleer to touch my food, but I also <laughs> no, want to eat that pizza. No, I'd rather not have a, like, snake monster drag its body yeah, across please, my please food. Please no. Please no. <laughs> that sounds bad. Um, and Silas has a glass of water, which he just moistens his lips with, and a small salad, which he does not eat. Um, I also love the vivid descriptions of the food that Miss Lupescu brings. Yes. She had put two plastic containers on the tabletop and opened the lids. She pointed to the first. Is beetroot barley stew soup? 
is salad. Now you eat both. I make them for you. And immediately, Bud, he tries it. He says, okay, the soup was slimy and familiar, but he kept it down. <laughs> now the salad, <laughs> said Miss Lupescu. And she unpopped the top of the second container. It consisted of large lumps of raw onion, beetroot, and tomato. All that in a is thick, vinegary dressing. Eastern European salat. <laughs> I knew that you would really... Um, yeah, be triggered by the description of this salad. Ate a lot of that stuff. <laughs> From when you ate, you know, only dill and onion and potato for and three months. raw sliced cabbage. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Bud almost throws up. But it's so sweet of Miss Lupescu to cook for him and bring him food. Yeah. Like, that's a labor of love for yeah. sure. No, definitely. Yeah, so like during her time looking after Bod, um, she also brings in dumplings swimming in lard, <laughs> which I'm like, I I'm both appalled that. and it's another one of those things where like I want it, but I'm also like, mm, I don't know about if that. You, if you want what I think those are, you should go to, what's it called, dumplings are? The Pelmini place? Yes. yes. Yeah, I Love think they're those. Pelmini. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Lots of boiled potatoes, cold garlic sausages. Which I love a garlic sausage, but cold, honey. Yeah. And then lots of fish and chips. I yeah. bet it's it's oh, yeah. sausage for like a, a open face sandwich. Like you slice it and have it like a cold cut sandwich oh, like that. No. I ate a lot of that too. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The fish and chips were most evocative for me. I I could use some. Yeah. We've had like a few books in a row now with fish and chips. Yeah, We cover books by so many British authors. Because the last um, one was Diana Wynne Jones. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, at this point, our listenership is more British than I it know. is American. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, y'all. <laughs> Hello. Hope <laughs> oh, we're doing honor to your country. <laughs> pip, pip. Yeah. Or to your countries, I should say. The yes. Commonwealth. Yes, the Commonwealth. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I love, and every time fish and chips are in a book, they're so crispy, they're so salty, they've got the vinegar, it, they're really, really... Really making me hungry. Yes, both Diana Wynne Jones and Neil Gaiman mentioned the uh, like swimming in vinegar, which mm, is yes. key. It is so key. The malt vinegar, yeah. If mm. you don't have that, I is it a fish? Is, is it, it really? A chip? Is it really a fish and chips? There's um, a, if you're listening here in Seattle, there's a really great or was a really great fish and chips place called Spuds, and their malt vinegar had um. Like they would soak garlic in it, and so there was just this also like garlic. Anyway, fish and chips forever. Yeah, that yeah pike, really good. pike fish fry is also gone. Um, yeah, I don't know of any current fish and chip places around here. So if any of you are in Seattle, uh, reach out, help us. Yeah, we need it. And I uh, can I do one more Seattle shout out, which I'm sure I've mentioned on the pod before, but there is a truly incredible graveyard um, right next to Volunteer Park in Mm -hmm. Capitol Hill in Seattle. I thought about it a lot while reading this book because it's my favorite graveyard, full stop. And it's huge. I love going there and just wandering around because the graves span from hundreds of years ago into like the uh, extremely recent past. Like people are still being buried there. Bruce Lee and his son are buried there. Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee are there. It's called the Lakeview Cemetery. Okay. Yeah. Um, And it is such an incredibly peaceful place. Like I could spend hours there. Um, And people are just 
quieter and more peaceful and just generally respectful in a graveyard too. So the energy that other people are giving off there, if mm-hmm. there are, you know, graveyards are usually pretty empty, mm-hmm. um, is also very like peaceful and conducive to just kind of walking around meditatively. I walked there a lot during the worst periods of COVID mm. um, because it was a way to go outside and not be around right. people. Yeah. It's, there's never At a lot of people not around the living. Yeah. Um, people can give you COVID. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Ghosts cannot. Can I give you COVID? Um, and there's also my favorite part of that graveyard is that there's this incredible little uh, stone statue at the very top of the hill um, that just reads to the west lies the sound to the east, a great tree. And the first time I went and looked at it, I was like, huh? Like, yeah, there's the sound. And then I turned and I was like, there's the tree. <laughs> it's it's the huge, beautiful tree that's up on right. top of the hill. And yeah. I felt like I was in a Nancy Drew For book. Sure, yeah. And like, I got I really go excited. See if there's a little treasure. I know. I was like, like, is there another sign? The knot in the tree or something. I, I took my brother to that graveyard when he was visiting in July because um, he's a big fan of Bruce Lee. And so mm. I took him there. But then we were walking around and I just saw one of the most beautiful like commemorative headstones mm. um this widow to his wife who died mm. um his wife, his wife. <laughs> um and he like wrote a poem about her and it's mm. like engraved on her gravestone mm. and it was just like the sweetest tribute so yeah i think we all recommend listening to this podcast on a little stroll through your neighborhood graveyard yeah yeah for sure Absolutely. <laughs> Let us know about your local graveyards. Yeah. Tell us about your favorite graveyard experience. So, Badass Lady Meter. Um, let us select and rank our badass ladies. Um, should I go first and steal Miss Lupescu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Who you, can be chosen by anyone? We can have multiple. Can, you can take Miss Lupescu. <laughs> Um, yeah, she's so magnificent. I want a book just about her and her exploits yeah. and her life. Yeah. Um, I love a female werewolf. That's rare in fiction. Mm, yeah, um, that's true. And I think the... I think because the werewolf trope, so much of it is about like the good and evil sides of men and it feels very masculine. Well, it's also about like the literal boogeyman, like he's going to come and mess up your family. Right. Like it's very male coded. Take your wife and stuff. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Also her portrayal, I really liked because most of the time Mm. werewolves are a byproduct of a curse. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a genetic thing. Whereas in this book, um, you are basically born a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that it wasn't like a curse. It was something that you were incredibly proud of. It was a gift. Exactly. Great point. Yeah, Great point. something to take pride in. Hound of God, again, I'm going to tattoo Hound of God all across brilliant. my chest. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, she's so magnificent. So my rating for her is a dish of dumplings, not swimming in lard, but maybe like a nice um, creamy buttery sauce instead. Let's like okay. make it a little more palatable, a little less of the lard description that doesn't feel fair to her. And her cooking sounded pretty good. I like lard. So, you know, I would eat lard dumplings. <laughs> Okay, and Madeline's rating for her is dumpling swimming in lard. It's that simple. We all have our different tastes. I, uh, yeah, I was going to go with our dear werewolf, but 
instead, I will go with Elizabeth, um, the yeah. the witch who was buried uh, in unconsecrated ground, and I rate her the absolute perfect headstone. My badass lady is uh, the lady on the gray. Mm. Um, and I want to rate her at a like all night ten out of ten dance macabre. Like, oh yeah, like an all nighter. Like, cool. and and she's the DJ. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Very nice. Very I nice. when she rolled up, I was like, oh yeah, now the party's really starting. Yeah, she's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I hate like making. I mean, I don't hate making references because I'm making a lot of references. But she had heavy Galadriel energy. Uh, yeah. Totally, sure. totally. I thought of Galadriel, Galadriel too. Yeah. Um, but I really like, yeah, she had quite the energy about her just straight away. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, yeah. lady on a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so powerful and terrifying, yet also peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah much more appealing than a traditional grim reaper. Yeah. And I like her talking about how her horse is big enough to carry the youngest or the oldest, or the yeah. smallest or the strongest. We all ride on the horse just once. <laughs> yeah, you don't need the like grim wreather with the this like scythe or yeah. whatever. Jumpy it's, like, it's like actually here you can get on, you can ride with me, get right. up on the onto this. Yeah, let's horse. go on a journey together. Not to say we don't love death from Terry Pratchett. I was just Discworld thinking of books. death. I don't yeah. want to malign him. No, I adore this is, death. This is a wonderful depiction of the the final passage yeah and the person that enables that death is a fantastic version of the grim reaper that is like very alive and (laughs) interesting um and like has a lot of in all caps has a lot of personality and is very quirky you should start out with the death trilogy okay next time you have me on it'll be a terror we could do another death book which we've long wanted to do yeah (laughs) depending on the uk listener feedback (laughs) (laughs) we value you the most (laughs) (laughs) but i do think it's interesting the ways in which like death is usually personified as a man yeah and Mm -hmm. like mother earth is like a life-giving thing whereas here we've Get, we get Lady on the Gray. It's a mm-hmm. it's it's a femme version, you know. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. death is very non-binary to exactly, me. Exactly. Yeah. And so to see different aspects of death being told through mm-hmm. a, in young adult novels, I think is yeah. That I would be really nice so cool kids. to get like a straight up non-binary, just like non-specifically mm-hmm. gendered version yeah. of which death. would make sense, right? Yeah, it's a great uh, democratizer, right? That's, there's no gender to that. Exactly. <laughs> Any lingering thoughts, or should we wrap it up? I think I'm I'm ready to leave the graveyard. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I feel my uh, freedom of the graveyard powers slipping away. <laughs> Time to get out and leave some footprints in sand. I want to hold it in my hands. <laughs> I want to grow something wild and unruly. <laughs> so ready for? Uh, well, that's the perfect way to go out on our graveyard book episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Jews. Thank Justin. you, Justin. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Dragon Babies. Friend of the pod. (laughs) So wonderful to have you. Um, And all of y'all can find some of the links we talked about, those songs, some of the 
great illustrations from the book and the cover on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on our Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and Twitter at dragonbabiespod. And you can also follow us there to um, learn more about uh, other goofy fantasy stuff we find and post about. And you can also submit um, messages or comments to request a book for us to cover. Yes. And I also have an Instagram where I post my weird, spooky, nature-themed, cosmic-themed art stuff at Pig and Doodles. Uh, The word pig, the letter N, the word doodles, all one word. Justice, anything that you would like to promote or mention? Um, Well, I'm currently... Uh, in the process of building out uh, a new business website for myself, but if you are in the Seattle area and are need are in need of um, postpartum, prenatal doula, or are interested in talking about any kind of end of life, such as green burial or vigil or anything like that, you can hit me up on my Instagram at justjphil, P-H-I-L. Um, and yeah, I... I guess I'm going by my my business name is Doula Justice. Spells like my name. It's great. J-U-S-T-I-S, baby. Mm-hmm. And we will tag Justice as well in our posts so you can find her easily. Yes. Our next book will be A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. We approached the Earthsea books in an unorthodox way by starting with the tubes of Atuan and then proceeding from there. Now we're going back to the beginning uh, without finishing. <laughs> so... Stay tuned. That'll be out within the next few weeks. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.